Welcome to another episode of Complete Developer Podcast, the podcast by coders for coders about all aspects of creating your best life as a developer. I'm Will, the accomplished developer and aspiring software architect. And I'm Beach, the journeyman developer sharing my journey in development. Complete Developer Podcast is supported by listeners like you. We are now on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Complete Developer Podcast. I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. Fear is the little death that brings total obliteration. I will face my fear. I will permit it to pass over me and through me. And when it has gone past, I will turn the inner eye to see its path. Where the fear is gone, there will be nothing. Only I will remain. Frank Herbert, The Dune Series. A lot of times we allow fear of social situations to control us, be it public speaking, going to an event where you don't know anyone, or just going out after work. We all have some places where we are anxious in social settings. Even for the more outgoing and extroverted, there are times when social fears and anxieties cause us to avoid interactions that otherwise would be to our benefit. In this episode, we're going to look at social anxiety, mostly the non-clinical version that we all face from time to time. We'll start by defining social anxiety, then discuss several things that you can do to help reduce or remove it from your life. But before we get started, Will, what have you been fighting this week? Oh, uh, dude, I today I found a situation where I needed a T4 template Okay, at work. Um, just to generate some code. So some people have some stuff that's kind of semi-constant out of the database in mm-hmm. C-sharp code. Um, and basically because we keep it up to a certain point in the database and I just need to reflect that in a code. And I was like, well, I don't want to be changing it every time the database changes by hand. But, um, and this is where it gets ugly. I, it's a hierarchical structure coming out of the database, right? But it's coming out flat. And so I'm having to do recursion in a T4 template and the recursive part has template output. And it turns out that like the functions in there can't do inline output. I mean, you got to use like the right line crap and it looks awful. It's hard to edit and hard to maintain. Mm -hmm. And then I realized I could do it with a delegate. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So you can imagine when you're writing code that writes code and you're having to do recursion for both sides of that, what your day is like. So that's what I've been fighting today. I don't really know about the rest of the week at this point because it's all gone. (laughs) How about you? Oh, dude. So um, that quote from the Dune series, I really love it. And it works if you put the effort into it. I I like to use it when I'm about to go on stage or, you know, ride a particularly scary roller coaster or, you know, jump off a bridge with a rope tied around my ankles. It's really great when you're facing your fears head on. So I am pumped, y'all. Uh, I played a song at my guitar lesson last week. I know that doesn't sound like much, but to a guy that thought he'd never have the ability to play the guitar, that meant the world. It yeah. was so cool. My instructor, he writes out the chords and the strumming pattern for me. And then as I'm kind of like practicing and trying to get it down, he just starts like, I had the pattern for strumming down, he starts calling out the chords. And I noticed like my, I'm, he says it and I'm moving my hands in the right places, which that was really cool. But we went through it a couple of times. It was just sort of a, it repeats. And uh, then he stopped calling them out and just start singing along. Nice. 
That's, yeah. that's very good. That's, that's big. I mean, I, that, that reminds me of, you know, learning Russian and mm-hmm. getting to the point where I could kind of tell a joke. Yeah. Um, now they thought my Russian was so bad that they didn't realize it was a joke for a minute, but um, <laughs> they laughed once they did. <laughs> and yeah, it's, it's a, it's a great feeling when you get to the point where you can kind of, you know, you're doing something you never thought you'd be able to pull off. Exactly. Yeah. Now, mind you, it wasn't perfect. Um, okay. I messed up a lot, but I started to get it and it was just, it was so cool. Now, of course, y'all know I can't do anything without finding some way to bring IOT into it. So I've got something music related for IOTs. This is a four-in-one smart music tool called the Soundbrenner Core. It has a vibrating metronome, magnetic tuner, decibel meter, and it's a watch. Basically, it contains all the fundamental music tools that you need outside of your actual instrument. It comes with a watch band to wear on your wrist, or it can be removed and attached to your instrument. Now, the metronome vibrates on your wrist, or there's a strap for your chest, and it allows you to even tap out your own tempo, create set lists, and use a MIDI controller on it. The tuner provides visual guidance for multiple instruments and also has a separate mount. Now, currently, this is in pre-sales on Indiegogo and Kickstarter, so purchase it with caution, but it's really cool, and I'll have a link to it in the show notes. Who's talking to us this week? Well, we got an email from Braden. And I guess this one came in today because it seems familiar. Mm-hmm. Uh, hi there. I'm a pretty new listener and I love the podcast. I will soon be graduating in a tech-heavy city, Waterloo, Ontario, with some industry experience, mostly in web. I'm thinking constantly about how I can best prepare myself to get a good job once my degree is finally finished. My favorite web stack by a long shot is Laravel plus Vue. Everything in Laravel and Vue both just feel nearly perfect for me. I've been doing personal projects and freelance jobs in this stack recently. However, they don't seem nearly as popular as Express plus React around here, and I fear it's not as helpful for my resume to be doing everything in my preferred stack. Would I be better off forcing myself to learn or and use Express plus React to boost my resume, or will employers still appreciate Laravel plus Vue experience? Thanks, guys. The podcast is really helpful for me. All the best. Braden. Okay. So, um, I'm going to tell you about a scenario that happened, uh, a few years back, uh, five to seven years ago, I guess was probably the time frame, probably closer to the seven year mark. Uh, there was a stack that was used in the web and it sucked. Everybody said that this language was awful. They wanted ways around using it. Um, it was, it was terrible, right? And a lot of people that were really into that stack were looking at it going, you know, I want to do something else because I feel like it will strengthen my resume. Fast forward to today. That stack is the one you were talking about as the good one. Uh, Express, you know, using JavaScript, uh, it had a completely different tone to it. Probably, you know, actually more like seven to 10 years ago. Uh, I can remember you know, years and years after jQuery came out, people were still avoiding it and they thought you were crazy for running it on a server. Now that's the dominant stack for a lot of cases. Um, I will say that I see a lot of potential in both Vue and Laravel 
Um, I've been very impressed with what I've seen as far as the PHP community, jumping to Laravel, getting stuff done with it. I'm also very impressed with Vue. Uh, so I would tell you, I probably wouldn't worry about it. Instead of thinking about this in terms of stacks, think about it in terms of the value that you can provide an employer using that stack. If you do that, it doesn't matter what the stack is necessarily. Um, and you can already show work that you've done in this stuff and show a profit for your bosses, essentially. And so that's probably the angle I would go unless there's just completely no jobs there, in which case, yeah, you might you might do the other thing or you might just look on the Internet and just roll this into a remote work situation. Yeah, I was going to say there's a couple of questions that I would ask here, and that is what is more important to you using Laravel and Vue or staying in an area specific to that uses Express and React. When I was coming up, I was really interested in Python, Ruby, and a few other things. But the language here in Nashville was .NET, still is .NET. Uh, my big thing was I wanted to stay in Nashville. I wanted a dev job in Nashville. So because that was my top priority, I chose my stack based around that. You have to ask yourself, what is your top priority? Is staying in a specific area, like a region, your top priority? Like, do you want to stay in Waterloo? If most of the jobs there are Express and React and there's only one or two places that even hire other, you might want to consider learning it. If what you want to do is to be a Laravel and Vue developer, stick with it. It's a matter of what are your priorities. So, Braden, thanks so much for listening and asking such a great question. It may appear on uh, our next live show as well. So be on the lookout for that, though. It'll probably come out before this episode. Anyways, send us another message with your contact information because we've got a complete developer water bottle just for you guys. If you'd like your very own complete developer water bottle, leave us a review in iTunes or comment on the website or any of our social media. We post all our episodes to Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook. We're also on Instagram and Tumblr. You can check us out each week where... We have a live show talking about what's going on in the tech world, and we answer a few listener questions. Or join the conversation anytime via Slack by going to slack.completedevelopernetwork.com. Feeling nervous in social situations is normal. Most of us get a little anxious when going to a job interview or giving a presentation at work. Social anxiety happens when this feeling of nervousness is taken to the extreme. Normal interactions cause fear and anxiety. You may be self-conscious or embarrassed due to feelings of being judged by others. There's a difference between being introverted and or shy and having social anxiety. Feelings of shyness or discomfort aren't always signs of social anxiety. People's comfort levels vary by person and by social situation. Some people are naturally more reserved or shy around others. Social anxiety can also affect outgoing people and even outgoing extroverts. This can be rather distressing for the person as they enjoy being around people and get their energy and motivation from being around others, but are also fearful and anxious about doing or saying something embarrassing. Now, as you guys know, I am an outgoing extrovert. No. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but occasionally, I do have some social anxiety. I've noticed it more recently as I've been making new friends. I tend to have it around interactions with people that I'm getting to know. Um, kind of like while becoming good friends, 
when you're going from that, oh, we see each other at church or we see each other at work, we're acquaintances, you know, Facebook friends to the, I would call this person and invite them over if I just wanted to hang out kind of stage, like in that in-between area. That's where I've noticed it. And this episode actually came about because I was wondering, why am I feeling this way? Like, why am I anxious about hanging out with people that I like? And it, it came like, it finally dawned on me, hey, I'm having social anxiety because I'm like, I've got this irrational fear of these people not liking me because yeah. I don't know them well enough. Yeah, I think a lot of, you know, a lot of times it is kind of almost situational. It's like certain points in interactions because. Mm-hmm. One thing that will bust me, I've noticed, is when I really look up to somebody and I'm trying to learn from them, that's when I get, you know, twisted up in a knot. I totally believe that because I have seen that happen to you before. Yeah. And, it, you know, like the rest of the time, like, you know, analyzing it, it's not not very common the rest of the time. Like, I don't care um, mm-hmm. most of the time, but it's just like, I don't know if that's a an old martial arts thing where you've got to be, you know, deferential to the teacher or what, but like, it's got to go, but that's definitely how I react. Social anxiety becomes a disorder when these feelings interfere with your normal life, and it can lead to avoidance of normal activities, even ones that you used to enjoy. The stress can affect your work, school, and other daily routines. It's a chronic mental illness that can be difficult to live with. Now, guys, we are not mental health experts. It's been several years since I worked in the field, and in this episode, we're going to discuss different tips and tricks that you can use to overcome those times where you may be anxious in social situations. And these are for subclinical situations of social anxiety. And we'll say it several times throughout the episode. If you're suffering to the point that it is affecting your daily activities on a regular basis, please seek professional help. Yeah, exactly. Uh, don't take mental health advice from people that are mental. so starting off give the anxious feelings a label or a name i call mine meg shut up meg no i'm joking i'm joking that was my family guy reference um that's not what we're talking about here Uh, naming something takes away its power it's evolutionarily built into us to fear the unknown this concept is not all bad though it is self-preservation The problem is that it's like an autoimmune disease when that self-preservation gets out of hand. Right, because it's essentially attacking stimuli that Mm -hmm. aren't really up to a threshold level of actually being a threat. It's very, very much like that. And by making it known, we remove the fear of the unknown aspect. In other words, you're looking at it going, okay, I know that I tend to be nervous in this kind of situation going in. If you're expecting it, it's a lot easier to deal with instead of you're sitting there and you just get slammed. Because that's what happened to me about a month or so ago is all of a sudden I was just getting really anxious and really nervous hanging around with a very select group of people. And I'm like, why am I nervous about seeing these people? I like these people. These people like me. They invited me to come spend time with them. Why, why am I nervous about this? And it, after some reflection and some looking up what was going on, I realized I'm socially anxious because I'm worried that they're going to not like me. It's an irrational fear. Yeah, that's, I think that's just the spot in the interaction, you know, that, that like plagues you because once you're comfortable, you know, that I could see you getting too comfortable, but like, you're not going to (laughs) hit the social anxiety again, right? Like that's just a, there's a, there's a transition point there that is 
for some reason has some background for you and Mm -hmm. whatever that is, it, it gets in your way. So I, I totally get it. Um, you know, the thing about naming this stuff is, you know, really interesting in that this also comes out of literature. Um, you know, Rumpelstiltskin, you named him, he lost his power, right? Another example is Lord Voldemort in the Harry Potter books is called He Who Should Not Be Named by a lot of characters for fear of his name. Right. And he's also known as He Who Shall Not Be uh, Told I Got Your Nose. <laughs> um, so there's that. The thing with this is by giving it a label, you now have something to fight or overcome. And this puts you back in control. Yeah, the, the power is not in these thoughts and feelings. It's in your power to overcome them. Now, we'll also caution on the label thing. You know, it's, it's useful to a point, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this is the point that you want to get it to. And instead of being overwhelmed, just dealing with anxiety. In other words, you've got a appropriate reaction as a result of the labeling. It also allows you to find the right resources to overcome it. You can now look into ways to overcome social anxiety. Kind of meta there. Uh, It's easy to search for a solution when you know what the problem is. I I like to think of this as like labeling is like having a descriptive error message instead of something's not working right. Yeah, I always love getting the uh, the voicemail message. The website's broke, man. That's like the best thing in the world. Gee, it's broke. Thanks. I guess it has no money. I don't know what you mean by that. What do you mean it's broke? You know, like, is the server on fire? Did you did you not forget to tip your server and you tipped it over and it fell on the floor? Is like, what does that mean? Um, yeah, you, you can't, you know, without proper language to understand a problem, it's very difficult to get your head around how to fix it. So go a step further than that by instead of simply, you know, stating that the feeling exists, Describe it as kind of outside of yourself. Instead of, I feel anxious, say there is anxiety. Or uh, sometimes I tend to be anxious is another one. And you'll see uh, John Sonmez will talk about that quite a bit. Yeah. What you're doing here is removing yourself from the situation. And then it just becomes something that you have to get over. You have to overcome. Uh, This kind of comes from mindfulness training. Yeah. And there's... um, I think sometimes too in English we have certain language artifacts that we we internalize a little bit because in some other languages they'll say they won't say that he is angry but anger has him or something along those lines where it's it's externalized in a way that we don't really do and I think sometimes that affects our thinking that that really does a lot of this kind of mindfulness training stuff comes from people learning other languages and when you learn another language it changes the way you think just like when you learn music it changes the way you see the world and the way you think. Uh, what we're getting at here, and the the final thought on this point is, you are not your feelings or your emotions. You are a person experiencing them. And that means you have control over them. They don't have control over you. You just have to take that control. Yeah. And part of the way you do that is the next point, which is challenging those anxious feelings and negative thoughts. So, it will feel overwhelming at first, right? Like when I was painfully shy, it was very, very rough for me to talk to somebody who had to talk to me. You're at a restaurant and talking to the waiter or waitress. I used to be painfully shy at the point where it was really hard for me to do that. And it's like, these are people that like, they kind of have to be nice to you if they want to tip, <laughs> you know, like, and it was, yeah. it was rough there for a while. And you kind of have to run straight into that. Yeah. It, it, it can seem like there's nothing that you can do about how you feel or think. 
challenging your thought patterns can reduce the symptoms of social anxiety. Well, yeah, it teaches you that they're a bunch of crap, (laughs) essentially by experience. Now, this isn't an immediate fix. Uh, It's sort of a longer, more lasting change. You'll have to start by identifying pervasive thoughts that increase your anxiety. Um, This is kind of similar to the previous point of labeling it, but you have to know that you're having these thoughts and what these thoughts are. Yeah, you kind of have to observe. Um, And that, again, goes back to the mindfulness thing is like actually watch what's going on in your mind instead of Mm -hmm. just experiencing it. You know, sometimes stuff just pops up in social situations on a consistent basis and you just got to figure out what triggers it, how you deal with it, what ways work effectively, and then start addressing those thoughts and analyzing them. Put the overthinking aspect of social anxiety to work for you. Challenge the presuppositions that something will go wrong. Look for ways that it can go right and then replace the negative thoughts with the positive ones that you're creating. Well, and this is something that I've seen you do and I do this too, right? We'll look at a situation and go, man, this is going to blow up in my face so bad. We'll go, but at least I'll have a good story afterward. <laughs> so I used to work with a, uh, a doctor when I was um, working at the hospital and he was kind of like you were in college, maybe maybe you just a little bit after college, really, really shy, socially awkward type of person, really, really friendly, great person, but he was kind of socially awkward and shy. And he would come down and talk to me about uh, dating advice and stuff like that. And he came down and told me about this woman. And after hearing his story, he was asking if he should go out on a date with her. And I said, well, you really like telling stories. If you're looking for a relationship, no, you should not go out with this woman. If you're looking for a good story to tell, then yes, you should go out with this woman. Yep. And, you know, most of your life is just a story. Like, <laughs> if, you just, if you step back and look at it, how much stuff actually hurt you versus how much stuff did you just experience? And it's, it's a thing you talk about. And next, question where the negative thoughts come from and why you think that way. It's like, ask yourself if the reaction that you're having is actually how you feel about the situation or if it is something that is going overboard. Yeah. Like you and I both know a couple of people that just assume the worst Mm -hmm. out of, out of any situation. I mean, I have seen people that they decide they don't like somebody. And once they get to that point, that person can sit there and eat a pack of crackers and the other person will be like, look at them sitting there eating that pack of crackers like they own the joint. What are the, you know, you're just, they're, they're eating crackers. They're, they're not, there's no, <laughs> th- th- you know, there wasn't some referendum on, hey, let's tick this other person off by chewing loudly. It's just like mm-hmm. they're eating crackers. That's, that's the extent of it. And it's very easy to get into that kind of headspace in social situations where you're, you're like, oh, well, what if they don't like me? And, you know, they're going to make fun of me. You know, I'm going to get a drink thrown in my face. Uh, you know, now, the thing with this is understanding where the thoughts come from can help you better rein them in. Also, with this, you have to keep doing it every time you have anxious thoughts or feelings. This is a slow process because you are training your mind to think differently. And with that, consistency is the key to success. Yeah, it's a lot easier to do something big by doing a lot of little stuff. Yeah. And you should also work to reduce and avoid thoughts about how you'll be perceived by others. And these can be really pervasive and they can cloud your mind. I'll tell you, the the big thing here is 
other people probably don't even perceive you. Like mm. as you get older, you start to realize like nobody notices you. <laughs> like you're just walking around <laughs> and you can do all kinds of crap and nobody knows. The, the problem is you become so worried about that, that this will cause you to make the embarrassing mistakes. Mistrakes. This will cause you to uh, speak like Sean Connery yeah. and make the embarrassing mistakes that you're trying to avoid. <laughs> nice. Don't worry about impressing people or don't worry about messing up in front of people. Focusing on yourself and on how you're going to act or react causes you to be self-conscious. Yeah, it's a lot easier just to focus on the other people. If you do that, you also come across as a lot more attentive. Instead, it comes out well instead of badly. Yeah, people really like talking about themselves. You know, Will and I talk about ourselves all the time, and we love podcasting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, seriously, ask questions. This is a great way to get to know someone, and they will remember you fondly because you ask them about themselves. Not only will they remember you fondly, but they'll be curious about you because they talked about themselves the whole time, mm-hmm. and they don't know anything about you. Yeah, this is something that I had to to learn much later in life because I like to talk about myself, and I'm not shy and not introverted. So, you know, I'll just I'll spend the whole conversation talking about myself and never let the other person talk. The problem is I love hearing stories and love hearing about people. So it's like this this weird balance. Anyways, you also have to remember that you're not a mind reader or a psychic. It's easy to assume that others think of you the same way you see yourself when you're experiencing anxiety. This is kind of like the polar opposite of narcissism. You really don't know what they're thinking because you're not them. And when gaining control of your own thoughts, you'll have to remind yourself of this regularly. In the same way, you can't know that something is going to go wrong. You know, the future is not known. However, we are pattern matching beings and we like to make predictions. No matter how bad we are at making predictions, we like to do it. What anxiety does is it puts bad data into our pattern matching algorithm. Challenging these is not easy as you're really challenging the way you think. That's why you have to continually make efforts to do this. Next, you want to build a hierarchy of situations and their anxiety levels. So you're talking about like you would rate various social situations on how you feel in terms of anxiety? Yeah. So like you create a scale of... Uh, in the various literature I read writing this, um, some of it said 1 to 10, some of it said 0 to 100. So we're going to go with the 0 to 10 scale, where 0 is absolutely no anxiety. Like 0 is me and you on a call before we start recording. Like, yeah. There's no anxiety there. We're just flat out open with each other. Yeah. We've known each other way too long to have anxiety there. 10 would be full panic attack in public. Right. Like, this so would like, be like you get on stage in front of 10,000 people and freak out. Yeah. The best part of that is the lights are in your face anyway, so you can't see them. Um, <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> like that saved me at the last, uh, last talk I gave. Um, but okay. So five would be kind of in the middle. Now, is this a kind of a, a logarithmic scale or is it just even? It, it's however you want to make it. This is your own personal scale. So this is this is <laughs> this is not like some set out there scale that we're using. This is how you are judging your own thoughts and feelings. So this is all for you. 
somewhere in the middle here, you you may feel anxious about going to a situation, but you're still able to function and go to it. How you rate the scale, it's it's up to you. If you want to make it zero to a hundred versus zero to ten, that's up to you as well. It's you know this is your scale for judging your own personal interactions and anxiety. Once you've determined a scale, you want to maintain consistency with it. But before a social interaction, create a list of the expected anxieties for each situation and write down the situation and your expected anxiety level going into it. This is key here. Make sure to put this on paper. You want to be able to review it later. Do this for all situations, no matter the size, big or small. So, you know, walking into a room full of longtime friends, that's going to be small. Asking a stranger a question, that's going to be a bigger one. Do it for all these situations before you go into them. Then, after the interaction, go back to your list and write down what actually happened and kind of where your fear was in the situation. So, what you're using this li- as a d- data gathering exercise pretty much? Yes. Yes. What you'll likely find is that the real situation was not as bad as perceived. You may have perceived it to be a nine when actually it was only a four. And you'll see that as humans, we're really bad at predicting the future. Yeah, that's why the stock market works. The other thing is the thought of doing something is scarier than actually doing it. Um, I have a friend of mine who suffers from clinical social anxiety in therapy, medication, that level social anxiety. And he has told me that the thought of going out and doing things is always way worse than actually going out and doing them. He said sometimes he just has to force himself to get out because he knows he knows that it's not going to be as bad as he feels it's going to be. But that doesn't mean he doesn't have the feeling that it's going to be bad. Yeah. And sometimes I think, well, actually, I know this from you know experience from back when I was shy, like you don't want to go out and do stuff. Not because the doing stuff is bad, but because the thinking about the doing stuff is bad. And it's mm-hmm. uncomfortable, you know, really until you get out there and you're just like, oh, man, I don't even want to do that. Yeah, and you, you overanalyze it and you start to, like, play through conversations in your head. Yeah, it, social anxiety is going to try to psych you out of social interactions. This is kind of where the idea of eat the frog comes into play. Yeah. In other words, like, do the difficult thing first thing. From the get go, and then everything else is gravy after that. Yeah, now, that actually kind of <laughs> that's kind of how I run my day, you know. Now that I think about it, because like I do the uh, the Russian practice in the morning on the way into work, and there's nothing that kicks my hind end as bad as that all day, most days. Mm-hmm. And I think this a similar principle ap- applies here. You know, you're doing yeah. something that really isn't, you know, isn't risky, but it just it's a hard thing to do. And then once you've gotten through it, everything else that used to be hard isn't. Once you've done this for a while, you kind of have an ordered list of anxiety-provoking situations, and you'll be able to see which situations cause the most stress uh, in the situation and before the situation. And you'll be able to see which ones are less stressful when you're actually there. And this will start to give you an idea of where to focus on improving yourself and overcoming those social anxieties. If you want to get really nerdy, you can start feeding this into a machine learning algorithm and have it predict anxiety levels based on social interactions. 
Yeah, but then that's going to uh, impede your social interaction as you learn about machine learning. Um, <laughs> so there is that. You know, I think the the next big thing really is is practice the skills that make you more social. So mm-hmm. you know, socializing is a skill set. Um, there was a essay by Paul Graham talking about people that were you know picked on in school and they weren't popular in school and how many of those people really looked at popularity driven stuff and weren't willing to put in the effort in a lot of respects and just like, Oh, this is a dumb thing, which it is dumb. Right. But if you want your life to be better, you still got to play along and you got to realize that that's a skill. You know, it's really interesting that you mentioned that because I had a friend growing up and I was friends with everyone. Y'all have, most of you have met me, but y'all, y'all hear me talk all the time. So you know that I'll be friends with anyone, but I just love people. But uh, I had this friend and she was kind of shy, kind of socially awkward. And yeah, there had been some mean girls that had picked on her in probably um, junior high. Uh, By the time we got to high school, I don't think anyone even noticed her because they had their own stuff going on. But I remember after high school, she said something about, uh, about one of the popular girls. And I'm like, what are you talking about? She's like, well, she was just always mean to me in, in high school. And I'm like, really? Like, I knew her. We were friends. That doesn't sound like her at all. I was like, what do you mean she was mean to? She's like, well, she was just so snobby and never talked to me or anything like that. And I'm like, did you ever go up and talk to her? She's like, no. She was too too popular for me to talk to. I'm like, yeah, if you'd ever actually gone up and talked to her, you'd find out, one, she was a really sweet girl. And two, she's shyer than you are. The reason she never talked to you is because she was super shy. Yes, she was a cheerleader, but, you know... You were in band. You know when you're up on stage performing, that is like a whole different mentality than when you're interacting with people. And that completely changed the person's view of, you know, the other one we were talking about. It was just, it was an interesting conversation. Going back to that, I was like, she never made the effort to go talk to her to try. Just assume because she wasn't being, you know, talked to or, you know, friendly to her that she didn't like her. It's like, no, she was really, really shy. That's why she never talked to you. On the other side of that, some people are like me and have a natural talent for being social. These are your typically your outgoing people. They like being around others. Uh, They learned these skills too. They just learned them so early that it seems natural to them. I, I go back and think about my guitar and, you know, I see people who have been playing since they were teenagers and I'm like, oh, they've just got this natural talent. No, they spent a lot of time in their teen years sitting there practicing their guitar. The time that they were sitting there in their teen years practicing their guitar, I was sitting playing on my computer. Yep. Writing programs, listening to Ace of Bass. (laughs) As you do. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I mean, all all this stuff can be learned. I mean, that's, you know, that's really the premise of this podcast in, in a lot of ways is, you know, programming can be learned. Social interactions can be learned. Financial management can be learned. All the all the stuff is stuff you can pick up. You're going to have I some think, degree of natural talent, but if you work mm-hmm. at it, it it can all be picked up. Well, and the thing about it is, if you work at a skill and you practice it, you have to practice to get good at social interactions. Yeah. If you put in the effort and practice at it, you will be better at someone who is naturally talented at it, but never puts any effort in. And I. I know this because I am that naturally talented person that used to never put any effort in. Yeah. And then I met people who 
like, especially when I got into sales who were just phenomenal at social interactions. And I found out, oh no, they don't have any natural talent. They, it's a complete skill to them. You know, that kind of changed my perspective. That was a little bit of a wake up call to me, really. So you hear all the time that you need to practice for job interviews. This is kind of the same concept that we're talking about here, y'all. It's really just put in the effort to do that practice. Also, learn to be assertive and practice this as a skill. Assertiveness is about being clear in what you need from others. It shouldn't be confused with aggression, but you want to be able to tell people what you need in a way that allows them to help find a way to meet those needs. We have several episodes on being assertive, so we're really not going to go deep into it in this one, other than to say that learning to be assertive will improve your social skills. Improving your social skills will reduce your social anxiety. Right. So if you, if you follow that. Yeah. And of course, following up with that, you also have to learn when to say yes and when to say no. By default, socially anxious people say no to everything. You know, that's not very helpful, right? You're not getting the exposure you need just to get past all this stuff. For a while there, you may do better to say yes to everything, just to see if you can find out what you like. Because a lot of times you don't even really know. Now, this sounds daunting, but remember, you can change your mind if needed. So this is mostly about like invites to social things and stuff like that. So, and I've had this happen with friends of mine that uh, are shy, introverted, or socially anxious, where they would say yes to something and then a day or two before say, hey, man, I... I'm just having some anxiety. I just can't do it. Yeah. Or just like get on meetup.com and RSVP to uh, different development groups. Uh, <laughs> the organizers only expect like a fourth of them to show up anyway. <laughs> um, you're good. Well, no. Now, on the other side is avoiding conflict by agreeing to everything. So one thing about social anxiety is you you don't want to get into arguments. You don't want to have conflict, um, you fear that. And so this happens when other people make unrealistic demands on you, where you're saying yes too much. You know, this we're not talking about being invited to social events, but this is more like telling you you have to work every weekend. Yeah. When you've already worked 60 hours during the week. Yeah. Or dragging you out to parties all the time when you have other stuff to do, or you just need a break. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, this was something that used to be a problem for me too. I wasn't very good at giving a firm no and going, no, I'm not going to do that. And you know what happens when you say no, nothing bad. Most of the time, nothing. As someone on the other side that does most of the inviting, I have had friends tell me, I know I've said no two or three times, but please keep inviting me because eventually I'm going to say yes. And when I'm really busy, I have said that to people, you know, um, have a friend, uh, a new friend that I made since I moved down here that uh, he's an engineer. We've got similar mindset and he's invited me out to dinner a couple of times. And I'm like, dude, I am sorry. This semester is just crazy with school and work and the podcast and everything. It's like, but keep inviting me because once the semester is over with, I'll have some free time. and I really do want to go get dinner and hang out. So he, keeps inviting me and eventually I will actually get to say yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, what we're getting at here is you don't have to go along with everything that everyone wants. 
Now, this can be confusing if you have like multiple managers with opposing interests. That could be its own episode right there. So we're not going to delve too deep into it other than to say it is okay to say no and it is okay to say, hey, not right now. This is what this is what my current priority is. If that needs to change, I'm going to need you know more information. The other thing is to practice saying I'm nervous and sharing your experience. Yeah, this was helpful um, for me at uh, at MicroConf when I got up to speak because uh, I was a little bit rattled. There's a couple hundred people there, mm-hmm. um, and I talked to one of the other speakers right before she went up, and we were just kind of talking about you know yeah we're getting ready to speak and, you know, kind of talking through the nervousness and it really helped both of us. That's a completely legit thing because once you get that out there, it loses its power. It's sort of like uh, the reverse of that would be like when you start telling people that you're going to do something, you ever notice how your motivation goes away? It's sort of the reverse of that in a lot of circumstances. No matter how experienced or talented, everyone gets nervous at times. Like you were talking about public speaking is a big one for a lot of people. For me, it's scripted performances. So yeah. like if I'm getting up and I've got just got an outline and I'm I'm giving a talk, no problem. I've been doing that my whole life. Yeah, I'm but, pretty close to that point now, honestly, yeah. unless it's extenuating circumstances. But if I've got a scripted performance or a script that I have to stick to, I get really nervous. You know, um if I can go off script, improv, I'm fine with, you know, anything where I can go off script that I don't have to mir- memorize or remember exactly what I'm saying, or I don't have to say it a specific way, I'm good. But when I have to stick with a script, like um, I've told you guys about the uh, the creatives group that I'm in, we performed for our, our final project this semester. I had written out this poem and I got super nervous. What's crazy is I was standing on stage talking to the entire group while they were getting all the stuff set up for us to do the performance, no problem. I'm just winging it, just chatting with the group from the stage. No big deal. The moment the music started, like that anxiety came over me. And I'm like, I have to read this and perform it in a specific way. And just like, you know, I, I, I went through it and everyone said they didn't even hear the anxiety in my voice, but I'm like, it was there. Trust me. <laughs> I felt it. <laughs> yeah. And the thing about it is like when I was up there on stage, I told them, I'm like, Hey guys, I'm nervous about this. And they're like, really? I'm like, yeah, talking to you. I have no problem. I'm nervous about doing this performance because I haven't done anything like this in a very long time. Um, that helped. The thing is we're talking about being on stage, but this applies to social settings just as much. Sometimes the fear is that people will know you're nervous and it, you could completely obliterate that fear by telling them you're nervous and like two things are going to happen. One, you can't be afraid of them finding out if you tell them because they already know. And two, they'll respect you for it. Yep. Sharing your experience can be valuable to you and to others. Uh, It helps you realize that you're not alone in these situations. I mean, we'll get emails about this podcast episode. Mm-hmm. from other people that found it valuable because we were able to talk through some of the stuff they're experiencing. And it also kind of brings a lot more awareness. Like as we've talked through this, you know, I've been thinking about situations as well. I mean, if you think about like how anxious I was when we first started recording the podcast, like I would freeze like five to 10 minutes in, like we had like a hundred <laughs> listeners. Do you remember this? <laughs> I remember. And I would get like five or 10 minutes in and suddenly go, 
a hundred people are listening to me talk right now. And I was nonverbal and Beach just had to like roll with it. And I mean, obviously that's not a problem now, uh, but yeah. early on it totally was. And until I exposed myself to it, it's it's funny because I have I forget where I was that I was telling people this, but I was like, you know, knowledge wise, Will could do this complete podcast by himself. Like he's got the knowledge and the the stuff that I bring to it, he could look up. But when we first started, he needed me around just to keep the conversation going. Yeah, it's I mean, it's kind of difficult too to do a to do anything like this by yourself. Like as a monologue, it it wouldn't be as valuable. Um, oh no, the, but- that back and forth is what. What I think makes it key. And yeah. And it's easier too when I'm talking directly to you to forget that, hey, there's probably going to be 2,500 people listening to this. And I don't yeah. care now. But I mean, especially early on, that was very important. Now, another thing you should be doing is you should be seeking out situations where you can be social and use your skills. In other words, force yourself into situations, see if you can learn how to handle them. It can be really tempting to avoid anything that makes you anxious. And this means going and doing stuff that makes you uncomfortable. Uh, you know, try to do something scary at least once a week or a month, you know, if, if you're just starting out. I used to tell people um, to do something that scared them once a day. You know, I've, I've kind of calmed down a little bit since then. I'm not as much of an adrenaline junkie as I used to be. But, yeah. Uh, and the other thing, too, is it's very easy to get them to be an adrenaline junkie if they actually follow the advice. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I would I would definitely just gradually expand your your zone of comfort so that you are comfortable yeah. in a broader scenario that you know, is a little on, bit more difficult. On that note, I, r- I really have to say, if I gave you advice when I was in my early 20s, don't listen to it at all. <laughs> yeah. You were like a, you're like the 25-year-old life coach. <laughs> like, here we go. You know what? When I was, when I was helping people in their, like getting into college and stuff, because I really did do some of that, that was useful. But Life skills, if I gave you advice when I was in my early 20s, yeah, don't. The thing about this is you have to make an effort to be more social. Go out and look for supportive environments that help overcome your fears. Uh, This could be anything from a meetup group to a class at the local community center. I mean, there's even a group for outgoing introverts here in Nashville. Crazy thing. So I guess it was about two months ago, I was going to the crawfish boil uh, over at Tennessee Brew Works after our meetup and nobody wanted to go with me. And y'all know me. I'm like, I love me some crawfish. I'm just going to go on my own. Like I'll go by myself if I have to. So I went by myself. I go over there. I get my crawfish. I get my beer. I sit down. I am just ready to like chow down on a mess of crawfish. I start eating. And uh, one of the guys that comes to our meetup group walks up. He's like, Beach, what are you doing here? I was like, oh, well, I just got, got done with Dev Launchpad and nobody was able to come with me. So I just came over here. I wanted to eat some crawfish. He's like, oh, man, I'm sorry I didn't make it uh, this month. Uh, we had our outgoing introverts meet up. He's like, do you want to come join us? So, you know, me, I, I love me some crawfish. I love me some introverts. So I went <laughs> over and hung out with the outgoing introverts. You like to boil <laughs> both of them. <laughs> Is that what you're saying? <laughs> Apparently so. Come uh, here, was, Mr. I, Shy. This is a big kettle, but it'll fit you. I promise. You'll like it. I, I made a lot of friends and I've gone to a couple of other events with them. It was a really cool group. Also, if you're overwhelmed, you could start with social skills training classes. Those do exist. Um, it's a great way to practice your skills in a safe environment and you can make friends 
with people who are kind of on the same path as you. Now, finally, under this, volunteering is a great way to get out and be helpful. Yeah, it's really handy to be able to focus on an activity and be social mm-hmm. and not have to worry about the social anxiety because you're lifting heavy crap and moving it around. Like, you get over it real quick. Conferences are great for this because you can be around other developers. There are always need for volunteers at conferences. And a lot of times it's to monitor and assist in like sessions and rooms. So you get to actually hear the talk and interact with a few people, but you're not interacting with a large number. But real important here, take it slow and don't overextend yourself. So another thing that's really important here is to improve your physical health to help improve your mental health. Anxiety will cause more than just emotional symptoms. It can create physical symptoms as well. This can be anything from pounding in your chest, you know, increased heart rate, muscle tension. You know, those are distressing because they're similar to other ailments, but they can also kind of create a feedback loop where your poor health leads to anxiety, which leads to worse health. So regular exercise, especially cardio, helps reduce the symptoms of anxiety. If you feel your heart is pounding out of your chest, you can go do some cardiovascular exercise get your heart rate up to the level that it feels like it's at. And then as it naturally comes down, it'll kind of reset that sense of dread and do. Uh, this is something that I do when I, when I get these kind of like feelings of anxiety, I'll go work out. Might be why I've actually been successful in exercising and dieting. Speaking of diet, diet can also affect your emotions. You know, yeah. You and I both have a friend that does this, that eats like pizza and sandwiches all the time. Mm-hmm. And he just eats junk food and, you know, he's, he's very clearly anxious. It just manifests in him being kind of toxic. Comfort foods are good as sort of a rare treat or kind of a way to comfort in stressful situations. They stop being comforting when that's all we eat. Yeah. So it's like, if you get a pint of Ben and Jerry's because you're stressed out, that's one thing. If you get so many pints of Ben and Jerry's, they start sending you a coupon book. Probably time to back off on that. Well, the other thing is too much caffeine can mimic the symptoms of anxiety. On that note, avoid mind-altering drugs, and that includes tobacco and alcohol. Nicotine is a central nervous system stimulant, so it will increase the symptoms of anxiety. Now, I know, I, and I've had this argument with people where they say, well, it calms the jitters. Those jitters are actually withdrawal symptoms. The reason it's calming those jitters is it's not relaxing you. It's giving you something that your body thinks it needs. And alcohol is kind of the same thing, right? Like it's a social lubricant, uh, but it's not a long-term solution. It's really easy to become too reliant on a few drinks to make it through socializing. Uh, I know you and I both have had time periods where we have looked back and we've been like, man, I've had alcohol every day for three weeks. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's just like a beer. But you're like, man, that's not, not that's not optimal. That's a ton of calories for one thing. Yeah. Um, the thing too is it doesn't actually deal with the anxiety or the fear. What it does is it lowers your inhibitions so you don't care about them. They're still there. And the thing is, they tend to come back worse later. What you want to do, guys, I mean, just one trick and tip that has helped me a lot is when feeling anxious, take a moment to focus on your breathing. Um, breath control helps you by providing a focus. It kind of brings your focus to the current moment. You can't get back a breath you've already taken. 
you also can't control a breath you haven't taken yet. So you're focused on the moment. There's a lot of techniques for relaxation uh, and calming that use breath control. The simplest one that I have found is to slowly breathe in, counting as you do so, and then exhale even slower to one more count than you breathed in. And then just repeat this several times until you've kind of refocused on the present moment. If you have pervasive thoughts come in, don't stop them. Let them come in and go, but maintain your focus on that breathing. So finally, we're going to talk about seeking help when and if you need it. Yeah, if your symptoms are severe, you probably need to get with somebody that's actually a medical professional. If it's bad enough that it's really disrupting your life, that's a reasonable option. We cannot emphasize this enough. Seek professional help if you need it. Do not wait until you're in crisis mode to get help. The National Alliance on Mental Illness has a 1-800 number. It's 1-800-950-NAMI, National Alliance on Mental Health. You can call that at any time. Professionals can take a lot of different forms. Psychiatrists tend to treat the worst cases of social anxiety and social phobia. They are medical doctors likely to prescribe medication to help ease the symptoms. Next, you have psychologists, and they have a PhD in counseling or in psychology. They also tend to work with the more extreme cases. A lot of times, you'll find them working in conjunction with a psychiatrist. Otherwise, you um, have mental health counselors, for instance, and they have a master's level education and specific training. And they provide services to moderate to severe cases of social anxiety. So, for instance, if you're like, well, I don't think I'm at the point where I need meds, you might want to talk to them. Now, they may tell you, hey, yeah, you do, but they may also go, hey, yeah, we can talk through this and, and work through these things. And so, if you're afraid of the, the implications of the medicine, you know, this may be a, a way to go. A lot of times, they are overseen by a psychologist um, or psychiatrist, so... Even if you go to them and you do need more intensive treatment, they will have a pathway for you to go through. You can also avoid working on it on your own by joining a support group. And this could be a group that meets in person or online. Just having others around that are going through the same thing can be comforting. And you want to use the group to encourage others and be supportive. Yeah, and I think the online thing is probably uh, pretty useful in a lot of respects because you're bringing somebody in and they're on video and you can just talk to them. Like I can look people in the eyes a whole lot better on video than I can face to face. And that's, very true. that's a very handy crutch if you need it. So guys, no matter how extroverted or outgoing you are, we all face situations that cause anxiety. These tips are designed to help you out in those, whether it be something that happens regularly when you go out or rarely in special circumstances. Please though, if you are suffering to the point that it is drastically impacting your life, seek professional help of some sort. That pretty much wraps us up before we close everything out. Will, what do you have for us this week for Tricks of the Trade? Well, I want to talk about the whole uh, you know, social anxiety thing. You know, not everybody has to be an ext extrovert. Um, in fact, you know, there's a huge number of places that are perfectly fine for introverts. But the thing you want to do is you want to make the kind of life you want to live. And when, whenever we talk about this stuff, it's really easy to sound like we are advocating one way or the other way. 
And we're really not. We're going, hey, look, here's how you fix your life in this direction if that's the direction you want to go. Um, there's some people, I think, honestly, that are extroverts that probably would prefer to be a little bit more introverted than they are, but they feel pressure. So always pay attention to that. You know, there's there's always a gradient and figure out where you want to be on it and then how to get there. Don't let us or anybody else push you there. That's all I got. Stand by for Titanfall. If you have a question or comment, please email us at neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Our theme music is an excerpt from Stand By for Titanfall by Pure Bells, available on SoundCloud and licensed through Creative Commons. The intro music for IOTs is Hillbilly Hip Hop by Jason Belcher. For references, show notes, and to sign up for weekly emails with extra tips and insights, be sure to check out the website at completedeveloperpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at CompleteDevPod and like our page on Facebook to keep up with news about the show. Catch us each week as we broadcast live, talking about what's going on in the tech world and answering listener questions. Learn more about all of our shows and groups by going to CompleteDevelopernetwork.com where you'll find links to Junior Developer Toolbox, Developer Launchpad, and our other communities. Thanks for listening. See you next time.